In the world of recruiting, some people have seen it all. They build recruiting teams from the ground up, hired hundreds of people in the best companies in the world, develop their expertise year after year. I'm Robin Choi, and I'm on a mission to collect their learnings. These are their stories. Hello, everyone. Hello, John. Hello, Robin. I'm very, uh, very happy to have you here today. And that's a conversation I've been looking forward to so much that I teased it in the previous episodes. Today, we're going to be talking about pricing. We're going to be trying to make a masterclass about pricing for agencies and also recruiters. And it's not only about pricing, but also value. So I believe that conversation will be interesting to anyone, even in-house team, because it's a lot about how do you present your value? How do you make sure that you convey that value and present it in the best way. So we're going to be touching on pricing, but not so much on like, should I charge 22 or 24% or should I do a three or four month guarantee period, but um, also about value. So you're going to be telling about your background. I would just say that you have a great Substack called Added Value. So I'm going to add the link in the show notes. It's a paid Substack, but you were kind enough to give me a free access for a few months so I can check it out. And it's very high quality. So you're uh, looking at case studies, like taking an agency, looking at a landing page and uh, commenting on the landing page and pricing strategy, but also look at other inspirations from around the pricing world, I will say, and how do you present value? So thanks a lot for being here today. This is your specialty. And in 30 minutes, you'll try and convey everything you know about pricing and value. Where do you want to start? Maybe can you tell us a bit more about your own background? Yeah. So I've been in the recruitment industry for coming up to two decades. Started with Reed Recruitment, one of the big UK recruitment brands. Did a lot of operational stuff, so I set up an executive search style product for them. Built other perm products and some ways of selling temporary recruitment as well. So it was all about presenting recruitment to the clients in a valuable way. You, know, you have to be valued, as you say. That you know, every time the question was, so what do we charge for a better service? What do we? You know, when clients ask for a cheaper service, how do we approach that? So in the end, I actually led the strategic pricing transformation at Reed. So we put that in and then I spent the next four years following that up, finding out what we did right, finding out what we did wrong and fixing it. And yeah, without going into the commercials in any detail, yeah, a company the size of Reed, that was yeah, a multi-million pound impact to change prices. Four, four and a half years ago, I was lucky enough to set up my own business as a pricing specialist to the recruitment industry. So having seen the impact it can make in one recruitment agency, I was like, okay, there's an opportunity to share this with the thousands and thousands of other recruitment agencies around the world. And I, I don't think you have a lot of competitors, like pricing for staffing is not that big of an industry. Usually people will be like, what do our competitors charge? We're going to be charging the same. And then they're surprised that they're kind of commoditized in the, to the client. They all look the same. So why do you think people don't put more emphasis on pricing and don't think more about pricing? And why is there so little innovation in pricing in recruiting? Yeah, uh, there's a good saying on this. It's seen as important, but difficult. <laughs> so obviously, you know, the, the, at an executive level, people say, okay, yeah, we want to tackle the important things. And there's loads of important things and there's you know, 
the burning platform things they have to deal with as well. So you say, right, this is important, this is important, this, oh, that one's important and difficult. You know, we don't know how to do pricing differently. It is you know, across the industry, even across you know, globally, the rates change a bit, but the the approach, the models and the theory is quite similar. So yeah, people don't know how to to change. You know, innovation is hard in any sector, in any walk of business. So yeah, hopefully I am making it easier to deal with because I have some of the answers and the experience to say, okay, yeah, this is important. This is the change we can make and this is how we can make that change. So what's a typical mission for you? How do you get started? What type of questions do you ask to your clients? And where do you usually see the lowest hanging fruits? What do you start by doing? Like, do you increase the pricing by one percent point and be like, okay, we're just going to be making more money, more margin? Or where do you start? If it was as simple as saying, <laughs> hey, let's just put our prices up, then yeah, I would trust recruitment owners to have done that already. Uh, yeah. And that's not a recruitment specific thing in any industry, as much as sales leaders and business leaders say, hey, can we charge more? The sales team, the people on the front line will say, uh, no, we're under huge pressure here. Uh, we need to win this business and everything else. So it's not as simple as just saying, hey, let's put up our prices. One of the pricing models I find works well in recruitment is, I call it the good, better, best pricing model. All right. Uh, so actually, rather than going in with a single, theoretically one-size-fits-all approach, which clearly most clients are different in the recruitment industry, as in most companies hiring have different needs, then actually going in and saying, look, there are different ways we can approach this. Let's say there's a perm role. There are different ways we can approach this recruitment. What's right for you? How much support do you need from us? How much do you really need the best people? Or is this fill the vacancy? How much reassurance? Yeah, we're not going to go into what guarantee period you should or shouldn't have, but some clients value guarantee periods more than others. So rather than just going in with a single guarantee period, for example, actually give your client a choice. At B2C, so consumer level, you know, so many examples. Um, hopefully after this podcast, everyone will kind of see them everywhere. But if you're going to jump on an airline, you said you've just uh, flown back to Paris. You had the choice of, did you look at how expensive first class was? Did you fly first class? Uh, no, I didn't. I, yeah. Like coach and didn't even have a meal. So yeah, exactly. But some meal, some did. But you, someone paid first class, someone paid business and you chose your option and chose to spend your money elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and that's up to you. And yeah, we can use that type of approach. Yeah, there are businesses out there who say, for this role, I need a first class service. But they might also say, well, actually, I don't need a first class service there. And sometimes something that is not very expensive to you is very valuable to the clients. And we've seen that yeah. again and again. And the opposite is true as well. Something that uh, requires a lot of work for you could be not valued at all by the client. So you have to find the right balance and you should uh, basically sell the services that are valued by your clients, right? Absolutely. And yeah, you say, how do I help people? One of the things is seeing... A a recruitment agency from the client's perspective. Yeah, it's very hard to take yourself out of your own shoes, to put yourself into your client's shoes, but you've got to know what do our clients value? Yeah, if you think of some of the jargon we use in recruiting, you ask 
recruitment clients what they think about those words, they say, yeah, I don't understand any of that, <laughs> let alone value it. So being able to say, yeah, this is valuable, this is useful, or, or helping people test that, yeah, you've got to find out. One of the variables that we can play on, so I'm thinking there is the, um, the fee, it's usually some part of the higher salary in any case. Then there's the condition, like you can pay with a retainer, you can pay entirely on a contingency on the placement. There is the guarantee as well. So that would be like the pricing elements. Did I forget any pricing element that we can play with? There's one more. Yeah, that was very good. But there's one more, which is payment terms. So oh, yeah. Yeah. how quickly you pay. There's only, only a few industries that, are, that I've experienced where that's highly valued. Construction's a good one where actually they might be saying, look, uh, the recruiter might be saying, well, I want seven or 14 day payment terms because, yeah, of just the way the industry works. Whereas in other industries, it's a bit more relaxed. And there is payment terms and also like kind of when is the payment and the invoice is due? Is it when the hire and the company agree? Is it on signing the contract? Is it on the first, like the starting day of the contract? Is it after? So that's not exactly payment terms. It's more like when is the payment due? Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. So when do you invoice? Absolutely. Yeah. When do you invoice? And that can be like for some client. I, I remember we thought a lot about this uh, at Harry Suite. For some client, they don't care at all being invoiced on when they agree with a client, with a candidate. And for you as an agency, it's so much better. It's very, very valuable to get that. In France, we have a three-month notice period. So being the agreement date or the start date is usually three months cash flow for us. So that's very valuable to us. Yeah, absolutely. But it, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. It might be incredibly valuable to us, but yeah, a business with good cash flow might say, yeah, sure, we'll just pay you when you ask us. Mm -hmm. So there's no cost to them doing that. Whereas in other, you know, in a tight cash flow industry, they might say, whoa, <laughs> there's no way we're giving you yeah, money three months before we have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are the areas where you see the biggest asymmetry between what's valuable to the agency and what's valuable to the, uh, to the clients? And that would be like back to the low hanging fruits. What are the areas where we don't even think about it, but uh, there may, might be an asymmetry and an opportunity for us to change our terms? without really changing the relationship with the clients. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I think we'll get onto it in a minute, but it's important to say the highest value variables are around the service. So yeah, while, while we can look at the pricing, you know, the, the technicalities, the real value is in saying, well, how much service do you want? What do you want us to achieve? And actually by asking that question, it opens up a conversation with a client about, well, what, what are you expecting? And do you even know what we do? Yeah, most clients are not experts at recruitment. Yeah. So then you can have a conversation about, well, let me just explain what the recruitment process is. Actually, you may not need extra support with the interview process. Or, now we've talked about it, you absolutely need extra support with the interview process. So that's on a kind of client-by-client -client basis. A simple one, uh, going back to guarantees, because it's an easy one to put numbers on, yeah, there are some clients who would really highly value yeah, as big a guarantee as they can. Yeah, some people now do 12-month guarantees and yeah, they'll push for that. Whereas others, you can take the guarantee, virtually take it away and they're just like, look, if I trust you and yeah, I need to get the right person and I understand the market, it's going to be hard to get this person. Yeah, 
that guarantee is a way of reassuring your client that you'll do a good job mm-hmm. and everything will be all right in the end. Some clients are already reassured to the point where they don't value that guarantee. And there's, there is a difference between valuing something and being ready to pay for it. The guarantee is a good example. I think for most companies, the churn rate is probably less than 10% within the first, I don't know, like four to six months. It's not that big. So you could, back to your good, better, best pricing model and kind of airline business model, you could be, okay, you have that level of service, you don't get any guarantee. And if you want to pay for the guarantee, it's an extra 10% on top of the price. And we'll be like, okay, instead of being 20% contingency fee, it's 22%. I feel like not a lot of people would be ready to pay for this and they would expect to have it for free, even people who value it a lot. Yeah. So again, it's a test. And the more we can put that, so there you're saying, do you value the guarantee more than the price? And really, it's not for us as the seller to tell the client what the right answer is, is to pose that question to them. Mm-hmm. and it's their problem. <laughs> so you give them the dilemma. You say, would you rather pay less and have less guarantee in this example or pay more for more guarantee? And then you step back and say, great, you think about that. Now, I talked about service. The advantage when you're creating those kind of dilemmas around service, well, actually, do you need more support in assessing shortlist candidates and you know, deciding which ones are right or with which questions you ask them interview or yeah, whatever. You're really going into the detail there. That's where you, you pose the dilemma to the client and you can then continue to be consultative at that point because the client might say, well, hang on, I don't know. What's the value of assessing someone more or less? And then you can share your expertise. You know, the client is asking you to share your expertise with them. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's happening during the pitch process, that's a really nice interaction to have because the client is, you, you've led them to test you on your expertise and you know, you're prepared for the answer. So they're more likely to, to trust you, to understand, to see you as an expert and to understand what you can do for them. What are the learnings that, so we mentioned in-house teams as well, and how it's important for anyone in recruiting to explain your value. And at the end of the day, sure, it's about getting people in jobs, but that can happen over two months or six months, and then the value is very different. Or that can happen with the person being assessed uh, thoroughly or not at all, and then the value will be different as well. So what are your learnings about explaining the value itself in the recruitment service that can be applied both to external, but also in-house recruiters? Yeah, I mean, in my experience, most recruiters don't value what they do enough. And it's it's easy to explain, you know, they're, they're making lots of cold calls. They're talking to clients who want to negotiate down on fees. So no one's going to say, oh, we value you so much. We love what you do. You know, recruiters are learn quickly how to take rejection. Mm-hmm. But actually, you internalize that and you know, your your self-worth isn't that high as a recruiter. However, when you read any kind of celebrity CEO autobiography, Steve Jobs or Richard Branson or whoever, the quotes stand out all the time. The most important thing we do is hiring. Our team is the most important part of our business. Without people, we have nothing. Those types of quotes 
And yeah, between in-house and agency recruiters, that is how businesses succeed or fail. So at the C level, people are willing to say, yeah, hiring is incredibly important. When it gets down to a hiring manager, actually, it's not their day job. Their day job is yeah, running a programming team or managing the HR or whatever. So hiring is a small part of what they do and they don't remember the value. Now, in my opinion, recruiters should be doing everything they can to remind themselves and their clients of just how important it is and the difference between success or failure. And how do you do this by communicating about what you do or what are the very practical examples about? I agree with you that all the companies, all the CEOs will say that uh, recruiting, hiring is the most important thing, that their people is their biggest competitive advantage. And then in reality, and back to what you said about value and feeling of values and how you really act and where you put the money. Recruiting teams usually have the lowest budgets. They're the first to be let go when there is a down round and or down cycle. So how do you communicate about that value internally and as a as a contractor or as a as a vendor? Yeah, I mean, if I was running a recruiting team agency or in-house, I would put up massive posters saying this is the value. Yeah, some of those quotes, this is how valuable hiring is. I'd try and be repeating those messages to the team to balance the day-to-day experience. So I can't make those budgets bigger. I can't ask clients to stop negotiating, but can we give people more confidence? Can we give them a boost? Can we remind them of the the why, the, yeah, the bigger picture? Yeah, we can do that um, and we can do that more. And also remember that as a both agency recruiters or in-house, you have to fight for what you believe you deserve because nobody will be doing it for you. So if you deserve that you're important and that you need that budget or that you need that price or that you feel like you were worth this price, then you have to fight for it. It's also about not like a fighting directly, but also showing your value and displaying your value. Yeah, um, that reminds me, I've run an in-house marketing team before. And there's exactly the same level of self-doubt and requirement to justify, you know, you read marketing magazines, you, know, you read kind of marketing gurus on LinkedIn or you know, on their blogs, and they're saying exactly the same thing. We have to fight for bigger budgets. Why doesn't the CEO value marketing? Marketing is more valuable. You know, so they're doing that in exactly the same way. And I'm sure it's the same for many other departments. Can we talk a bit about your previous missions? What's uh, like, if you have very concrete case studies of companies you've worked with and the type of changes that you've been pushing for so that we understand better, did you change the price? Did you change the payment terms? Or did you recommend to change the payment terms? Did you change the way that the value is showcased? Did you remove services? Because I guess it's also about pricing. It's not so much about increasing the revenue, but also increasing the margin. So it's Sometimes maybe you can charge just as much, but with uh, lower costs or higher margins. So yeah, can we dive a bit into a few of your missions? Yeah, that's a really good point there about removing services or just being aware of what you're doing. And most of the time I will recommend a good, better, best model. So that airline pricing. And what's interesting is I can think of several clients of mine, so agencies I've worked with where they say, Oh, yeah, no, we want to go to an extra mile for everyone. We want to give a gold standard service to everyone. 
and I'll I'll work on the yeah I'll analyze the data with them yeah I'll look at those specific cases and I'll say okay so one client might be paying you close to double in fees yeah you've agreed a much better rate with one client than the other and yet you're saying you're going to give them exactly the same high quality service and there's a yeah there's a mindset shift there that's needed to say oh yeah actually okay it's it's actually unfair to go the extra mile for the low fee mm-hmm. because then the higher fee is a ripoff because they, you you would have done exactly the same for a lower fee. Mm-hmm. So actually putting in more boundaries around your offer to say, right, for this type of fee, you're at this rate, you get this level of service. And if you're paying me much more, then you get much more for that. So there's a bringing that logic in of tying price to value is a really important part of, uh, of what I do. You mentioned services as well. Um, <laughs> with almost everyone I've worked with so far, it's not that we've had to create additional services you know, to create that kind of first class option. Most recruitment agencies have tried and often still do add lots of value in in little services. Sometimes they talk to clients about them. Sometimes they just do them behind the scenes and it doesn't get mentioned. They're often presented and marketed as, oh, it's our, that's our free service. You get these things free as an added value. Clients don't value that. But when we come to looking at the pricing model, we say, actually, there's, we're doing lots of different valuable things here. What we need to do is package them up in a way that clients can understand and as you said earlier, they need to value them and be willing to pay for that value. So that's also something we've, we've explored at HireSuite. You also, if you create too many different packages, you also create an extra layer of complexity for the team. Uh, so they don't exactly yeah. know what to sell, how to position yourself. And the same for the client. So you, you're, you want A, B or C and they're like, I just want to hire someone. So so how do you manage that complexity? And at the same time, I totally understand the benefits of having different packages and different pricing tiers. So that absolutely makes sense. So how do you combine both? Yeah, it has to feel natural. If it feels like a pricing model, then you're in trouble. You know, when it comes to complexity from a client perspective, they've got A, B, C, D, E, or nothing at all. And very quickly, the answer is, thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand what's going on here. I'm just going to give up. So yeah, we, we've lost that pitch through complexity. I mentioned the word logic earlier. I think that's really important to think through, right? If we're offering this at this price and that at that price, is it logical? Is it, yeah, does it make sense? Is it common sense to say, oh yeah, I'd pay more for a higher guarantee and I'd pay less for a lower guarantee? As a very simple example, yes, that makes sense. So there's no additional cognitive load there. There's no, the client doesn't need to think harder. The good news when we use good, better, best is, you know, it's so common in the B2C space that again, it's not, it's not new. It's not scary. So I don't think anyone has tried to book an air, airline ticket. I got, oh my God, what do you mean? <laughs> First class. Yeah, we know that. I mean, it's it's a cultural phenomenon as much as anything. So that gives us that common understanding of okay, I I see. Yeah, I've seen this this approach before. 
I've not seen in recruitment before maybe, but it's a common approach for me. So that's important. But yeah, what you don't want to do is I've seen people try and do their own versions in recruitment and they flip the way I recommend. So their highest value option is their cheapest okay. price because they fix it. So the recruiter is getting a lot of value. Let's say they get a retainer or they the offer is, so the invoice is on offer rather than placement. So high value stuff for the recruiter, but the client sees that and, and is confused. They say, so you will sell me your best service for your cheapest price. And that's the disconnect. That's the illogic that causes the problems. You're probably losing some of the trust, like uh, what's happening there? What, what am I giving away that yeah. I don't realize? Yeah, yeah. You don't want people to think this is an approach. Yeah, as with anything in sales, you don't want people to say, I'm being sold to. <laughs> Ideally, you want people to think, I have a hiring problem. I would like an expert to help me. Hey, you're an expert. Can we talk about this? Uh, that's your fee. I'm willing to pay that. Done. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect structure. What you don't want is, oh, I'm being sold to all the time. Oh, they're trying to push me up on price. They've got add-ons. That can be a, a risky thing. You know, we talk about airlines. It's like, oh, oh, did you want a seatbelt? <laughs> That's an extra $50. And it's like, <laughs> oh, well, yes, I do want a seatbelt on an airplane. Do I want food? Yes, I want food on a 12-hour flight. So, yeah, you need to be careful about Yeah, that trust and that relationship, yeah, it clearly is just about saying, I need you to pay more. You, you need to think about your client. And back to the airline, something happened on my flight back to San Francisco. The airline started pushing for their duty-free products mid-flight. Everybody was watching movies. They stopped the movie and then make an announcement on the speakers. They're doing it in French and then in English, and they're trying to push their thing. And I'm thinking that they don't understand, like, what's the value for me? Why would I buy duty-free stuff in an airplane where obviously the inventory will not be as good as uh, at the airport? Um, yeah. And I felt like they were just thinking from their perspective, like, how do we increase the average revenue per seat in that plane? And yeah. so... You're losing some of the trust of your client's trust. Well, if they add something like when they're pushing for drinks or foods, like that makes sense. I might be interested in some good food or, or drinks. But yeah, you have to align the value with your clients and not try and push something that's interesting to you, but not to your client because people fear it. I read a book. Did you read that book called uh, $100 million Offers? And uh, subtitles yeah. is how to make offers so good people feel stupid saying no. Uh, what do you think about it? It's got a lot of good theory in it. I find it a little cheesy. I don't think it's that suitable for the higher end of the recruitment market because we are consultants and you need to build that trust. I think a lot of it is the examples he gives, says Alex Hormozy. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it, it's a good book. It's entertaining to read. Um, I've read worse for sure. But the examples are, if you applied his language to recruitment, It would be 90 days guaranteed to fill your role with twice as many people as you needed for half the cost or your money back forever. And it's just like, yeah, does that position you as a high value consultant or does that position you somewhere else in your client's mind? Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, 
different business models, different use cases. It can work. It tends to not be the approach I take with yeah the recruitment agencies I work with. It did feel about the same with the book. Like uh, I, I think it had at least the merit of talking about pricing and the how do you position the value, same as our discussion here, which is something that's so valuable that has a huge impact on any company. And most of the time it's just wing, like we, we're going to look at the competitors or we're going to try something. What's doing this other person? Okay, we're going to be doing 10% more without really thinking about it. So really made me think about the pricing and the core thing about the book is um, you can price something very high that can be expensive and that can still be very good value for money. So it's not simply about discounting and that's a bit connected to what you say as well, right? Yeah, and um, I, yeah, I try and pick easy examples to, to make it clear, but if you're placing a proven salesperson yeah, and an average salesperson might bill a million dollars a year, yeah, that's their target for that product, and this top person is proven to bill $10 million a year, then you can charge an awful lot and still be very good value <laughs> for that. Now, yeah, in recruitment, we don't have a model where we say, oh, that person's much better. I'm going to charge you 10 times more for them. And that's reasonable. But yeah, that's an example of you could charge a lot there, but clearly the the value, the outcome to the client is, wow, we've got someone who, yeah, in the future, you could look back and say, wow, they've built $10 million a year for the last three years. Any fee would have been good value for that. Mm. That could be an innovative uh, innovative pricing model for an agency uh, uh, hiring, recruiting for salespeople. Like we're getting some variable based on code attainments after a few years. Oh. Yeah, I think there's a few industries and sectors where, yeah, it is measurable. For most, it isn't. So yeah, if you were placing HR people, yeah, how many people you you fire in the next year? <laughs> you, you get pretty risky about just measuring and monetizing activity. Well, if anybody's listening to us and try the kind of uh, more elaborate pricing structure, we'd love to hear about you. Uh, yeah, definitely. Final question, maybe uh, you did a survey last year with uh, like about 100 or something like this agency recruiters asking them about prices, about pricing model contingency versus placement fee versus retainer, and then retainer versus exclusivity. What were the main learnings from that survey? And I will probably also add the link to the show notes so everybody could look at that because there's a nice um, deck summarizing all your learnings. But uh, what are the top like one to three learnings from that, that survey that you didn't expect? Yeah. So the most interesting was, yeah, the question was, what is your biggest challenge as a recruitment leader? And the most popular answer was differentiating our service and our agency from other agencies. So you talked earlier about commoditizing or being seen as a commodity. Obviously, if you are seen as a commodity, then it's very hard to apply pricing models. The first thing you need to do is stand out. And I, I help with, I help some agencies with that, but there's other ways you can do that. Yeah. Some agency owners really know their niche and have found ways to stand out. And when that happens, I then ask them, please, please tell me that you price accordingly. That's what I don't want to see is people really differentiating themselves and then standing out and then matching everyone else on their fees. 
because that's just wasted effort to stand out without the return. Um, so that was that was kind of the big finding. Another that reflects back on something we talked about a few minutes ago was um, most surprising finding was that on the perm side, people said, of course, it was difficult to win a retainer. Uh, I expected that, so to get a client to agree to pay money up front. But I also asked, how difficult is it to win exclusive business? So without the money up front, but yeah, you're the only agency working on it. And people reported that it was almost as difficult to win exclusive business as retained business. So that certainly made me stop and think. My, yeah, having thought about it a bit, I'm pretty sure that comes back to our point on trust and belief in the service and the value. So my recommendation off that is, you know, as recruitment agencies, we need to spend more time building that trust before we ask, can I work this role exclusively or asking to be paid up front for to work the role. All right. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks for sharing all this. I think we, we covered a lot of ground today. I'm going to be adding the link to your Substack, uh, to your website. So your website is thevalueadvantage.co.uk to this uh, pricing pulse that you did. And then we're going to be uh, keeping an eye out for you on LinkedIn and on your Substack then. Thanks, John. No worries. Thanks, Robin. Hey there, this is Robert. Most of our listeners come from word of mouth. So thanks a lot for your support. And if you enjoy the players, please keep on sharing it with your team and friends. Stay tuned for the next episode. And if you can't wait, follow me on LinkedIn for more content on recruiting. Talk to you next week.